Hello and welcome to another podcast in the series Sefa Conversations hosted by QQI. My name is Sue Hackett and I'm delighted to have the opportunity today to talk to Ethan Glynn of the Irish Language Research Te Teaching and Testing Unit at Maynooth University. The centre um, uh, was an early adopter of the Sefa in the context of Irish and pioneered the development of CEFA based of a CEFA based suite of standard standardized proficiency tests for Irish, um, which were launched in 2005. Um, the centre is also the Irish member of ALTI, the Association of Language Testers in Europe, and these TEG TEG tests have been awarded the ALTI Q mark for quality, both in 215 and 220. So goodness, quite an achievement. The centre also led the implementation of a CEFA-based syllabus for undergraduate Irish in Maynooth. So Aoife, it's great to have you here and thank you for giving us, giving up some of your time to talk to us. Thanks Sue, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I believe you've been involved in the CEFA for quite a long time. I know you, you've got a relationship with en Enrica Picardi and Dr Brian North. Yes, well, I've, I've been involved in a number of projects. I think my earliest introduction to the, the, the CEFR was as a language support teacher, would you believe, in, in primary schools. Um, David Little and his a team in Trinity at the time had oh, uh, yes. developed a, a syllabus for young learners and um, for, uh, for EAL in primary schools and I was involved in that. So that was my first introduction. And then later on, I, I was teaching various uh, uh, CF4 based um, projects. But as you mentioned, um, you know, a number of years ago, I think in about 2015 or 2016, I saw an ECML call for uh, expressions of interest in in, uh, in being nominated as an Irish representative to take part in the, an ECML project on quality assurance in the use of the CEF4. And that was led by Enrica Picardo and uh, Brian North were two of the authors, as you know, of the companion volume, the CF4 companion volume. Um, and so I was successfully nominated and, and got to work on that project, which was absolutely amazing. It was just such a great experience. I'd recommend anybody who sees, you know, we, we see these calls coming up for ECML projects and sometimes people I think, you know, well, I'm I, I, I might I could hardly be the nominee for, you know, for Ireland for that or I wouldn't put myself forward. But I would encourage people to put yourselves forward if you see a project that you're interested in, because it was just an amazing learning experience and it really kind of helped me to develop my understanding of what exactly the CEF4 really is. You know, I had been working with it for so many years, but I think my, my understanding really developed through that project and um, and I really developed an, an under, a better understanding of what QA is in the context of, of the CEF4 as well. Um, and I, I use the, the term quality assurance rather than quality control because that's really, you know, the quality assurance and the use of the CEF4 should come from the bottom up, um, from reflection and, you know, among users, discussion among users rather than something that's maybe imposed from above. No, very good point, and I couldn't agree more. And and what were the outputs of the uh, of the project? So the the main output, there were a number of resources, and the main output was uh, what we called the CEF4 Quality Matrix Tool, and that's an online self-assessment tool that um, that it's it's kind of it, it it's it's suitable or it's um, it was designed for a number of different types of users. So teachers, curriculum developers, um, teachers or assessors, I should say, uh, curriculum developers or also maybe managers or policymakers or people involved in kind of um, that end of, of CF4 use. And anyone can go onto the ECML website, the quality and look up the if you Google ECML quality matrix, CEF4 quality matrix, you'll find it. Um, and you can click on the online tool and um, you can specify what kind of 
of user you are. And then um, it basically brings you through a list of questions and their self-assessment questions. So they might be questions like, you know, in using the CEF or um, I, I started out by analyzing the user's needs, <laughs> the, 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 the needs of the user of the learners that I was dealing with. And, and then you rate yourself um, on from one to five on a Likert scale, you know, for, for each of the questions. And then what the out, so it brings you through the various kind of stages in CEF or use from planning to implementation to then reflection and revision again using the, the Deming cycle. Um, so it's, it's based on the, the Deming cycle of, of quality quality assurance. Um, and so it brings you through all of these questions. And then at the end, it shows you where the strengths and weaknesses maybe um, lie in your own use of the CEF or in terms of the, you know, the, the validity and the, the sustainability even. And, you know, the, there are a number of kind of quality uh, assurance principles that underlie the, the quality matrix to it. But I would really recommend anybody who is interested in using this, the CEF or uh, if you're a teacher, you can go on to use the quality matrix tool. And it's a really, really useful uh, tool to help you kind of just assess your own um, the quality of, of the, the way that you're approaching the CEF or. But also it can be used. Um, I actually used it here. Uh, in, in our centre with the teams. So we got a, you know, as for a staff meeting, we, we use the quality matrix tool as a team and that and then it kind of stimulated conversations and discussions and and that in itself, I think, is a really, really valuable um, process to go through. So I would highly recommend using it. There are also some other useful resources on the on the project website. Um, we compiled, uh, for example, a glossary of terms to help people kind of understand some of the terms um, be behind the, the, that are kind of in, involved or in, in used in, in, in relation to the CF4. And then also um, a whole uh, kind of database of uh, of um, user examples or kind of what we call promising practices. So there, there are all these documents that describe promising practices or, you know, good use, best practice use of the CEF or in lots of different contexts. So you can go into that website and, and look at the database of quality of promising practices and then you can maybe find an example of where somebody in Austria or Belgium or somebody else, some, some other country has done something that's actually quite relevant to your context. And, and if you read the documents, they're short, maybe three page documents um, that describe what people did, what the challenges were, what they learned. And that's really the key point, I think, the lessons yeah, learned. <laughs> the lessons learned. And so then hopefully the idea is that by sharing these examples of the challenges and the lessons learned in, in CEF or implementation that other users then can learn from these and benefit from the, from this uh, accumulated knowledge, I suppose, <laughs> of, of CEF or users. That sounds really brilliant. And I suspect, or, you know, I suspect certainly uh, people I know wouldn't be that familiar with with the ECML and all the all the resources that are freely available to them. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm always amazed, actually, at you know maybe the, the all the resources. Even that sometimes when I go onto the website, I discover there are new resources that I didn't know were there. And I would highly recommend um, for anybody to go on and and have a look at what um, what's what's available there. And also then to try and get involved in a project. One of my colleagues here is very interested, for example, in mediation. Um, you know, the coming kind of emerging from the the um, the companion volume, she became very interested in the concept of mediation in the context of Irish. And of course, she saw that there was a, a, an ECML project looking at mediation, designing mediation tasks um, and 
I encouraged that she saw that the project had already started, but I said, you know what, contact them anyway, contact the project team and see, you know, would they be interested? It's always nice to have a, a kind of a have somebody involved in these projects who's maybe working in a different context. And for example, in the context of Irish and minority language, you have something to add, I think, um, by by, you know, offering a different perspective. And so I encouraged her to contact the, the team and, if, and she ended up then being involved in that project. And again, that was just really beneficial, uh, really great learning experience for her. That sounds really fantastic. Absolutely. And such good advice. I, you're also working on a on a learner corpus project. Yes, so I'm um, so I I suppose one of the big challenges in using the CEFOR, and I think this is a challenge that applies to any languages um, any any language. Um, one of the challenges I think that that people might come across is that um, you know, as as you know, Sue, the the CEFR describes language competence in a kind of a multi-dimensional uh, um, uh, view. It gives a multi-dimensional view of language competence. So we've got, um, you know, one one dimension is the functional dimension where uh, it describes language use and you know how um, people's ability, learners' ability to use language in while engaged in various types of communicative activities. Um, and so that's a chapter, it was chapter four in the original document. I think it's chapter three now in the, the companion volume. Um, so so that that part I think is, you know, it's it's it that can be applied very easily to to any language, you know, if, if the, the, it describes all these communicative tasks and you can easily apply that to a number of languages. But the second dimension um, is the dimension that describes not what learners can do, but how well the quality of the language that they use in terms of, for example, grammatical accuracy or vocabulary range. Now, of course, you know, in order to make the CEFOR useful to people working in a range of contexts, those descriptions of grammatical accuracy and you know, language quality needed to be general enough so that they could be applicable to a wide, wide range of contexts. And that means that, that that's a benefit of the CFR in one way, and that's that was a you know benefit of the approach. But the challenge for a user is that if you want to specify, for example, rating criteria, you know, you can use that you can use the, the, the one dimension, the, the functional dimension will help you to define the kinds of tasks that you might design for learners at various levels. But then the other dimension, the quality dimension is what you might use when you're designing rating criteria or marking schemes uh, in order to assess those tasks. And the the kind of descriptions of language quality in the CEF or are just a little bit too general to be to 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 be kind of used as they are as they appear in the documents um in in a, in very specific contexts so you what you need to do is you need to specify further what grammatical accuracy or what vocabulary range looks like in your specific context um and this is something that was you know the authors of the CFR talked about this very early on that this was they were hoping that that users would um in various different contexts would engage in research projects and um, where they would analyze learner language um, and they would develop then reference level descriptors of what language uh, language quality looked like at various proficiency levels in their specific language context. Um, and some of these these projects, I mean, there's been huge progress made in that area in the, in the in terms of the development of reference level descriptors for English. So I'm so jealous of anybody working with English because you've got such great resources in the English grammar profile um, the EGP, which is available online and actually on, on Irish. Uh, Anne O'Keefe, Dr. Anne O'Keefe down in, uh, in Limerick, um, oh, yes, uh, one yes. of our Irish colleagues was involved. Yes. She was one of the, the principal investigators on that project. Project. 
Um, and then there's also the English vocabulary profile and so on. So, so there are great resources that help to really specify what exactly English look, uh, language quality looks like and and um, in in those in in a, at various levels, at various proficiency levels. Um, unfortunately, we don't have those kinds of resources. That work hasn't been done yet for Irish. So I have begun. But of course, you know, when you're starting out um, uh, on a project like that, it's a huge project and it will take an awful lot of time. So what I've started to do is I've started to develop a learner corpus kind of learning from the Cambridge module model. And um, I've started to develop a learner corpus based on our TEG exams, which are our, our CEF4 based uh, exams. Um, and then I'm I'm hoping to develop to to be able to analyze then grammatical proficiency, the development of grammatical proficiency at various levels of the CF4. But it's still a work in progress, Sue. So <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe I'll report so back. <laughs> well done. How interesting. Goodness, mm -hmm. that's just so impressive. What 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 changes do you think um, the CEFA has brought to practice and sort of um, effective teaching and learning in the context of of Irish? Good question. Do you know? I think the most important thing is not necessarily the you know the, the levels provide us with a, a kind of a, a common meta language and a common you know a, a, a common currency for being so that we can describe language proficiency and at their various levels and we can compare um, you know the outcomes in various uh, contexts and so on. But actually, I think the most important thing that the CEFOR has brought to the context of Irish is the kind of philosophy behind it because the CEF4 is not just a system of levels it's not a you know it's, it's not just a standard setting tool it's a philosophical approach in a way Absolutely, to language yeah. learning yeah, that's, that's how i see point. it anyway yeah. um you know it it kind of it challenges us, us to completely redefine how we look at language learning and how we look at language learners so i mean the, the one of the most um, the fundamental aspects of the CF4 is it tells us that we shouldn't be talking about language learners, but we should be thinking about them as language users from the very beginning um, and that we should see the aim of language learning to, you know, to, to kind of the, the aim of language learning should be to enable learners to become language users and to be able to. And then, then that that also has implications then for how we see language proficiency, because we, we don't just we can't see if, if, if we are assuming that our language learners are really language users, then they need more than just knowledge. You know, they, they it's not enough for them to know about the language and to know the grammatical rules or to, you know, um, they need to be able to actually apply that knowledge while engaged in real world communication and that that's our definition of proficiency so it's not just knowledge but it's actually the ability to apply it um and this of course is kind of groundbreaking in the context of irish because I, I'm, I'm not sure how many of your users now or your, your listeners um will be will have gone through the schooling system in ireland i'm sure many um will have gone through the school system in ireland and you know we hear people say all the time well i studied irish for 14 years in school and yet you know i couldn't have a conversation and I mean, that's that that is really a symptom of a, of a system that's maybe focused on developing knowledge rather than developing kind of real world yes, competence. Yes, and yes. so the CFR is a great antidote to that kind of, you know, that that kind of situation. And um, if we really by, by the, the, the kind of philosophical approach behind the CFR really challenges us to think differently about language learning. And that in itself, I think, has a really powerful impact on on the work that we do. Um, Absolutely, and I suppose the role of the learner, the role of the teacher. 
Absolutely. Um, I think that's a really important part of the, the CFR is that we're not just, you know, maybe drawing up a syllabus for our learners, but we're actually the learners are engaged in, you know, in, in self-assessment, for example, through these portfolios and so on. Um, so there's that, that increased emphasis on learner agency, learner autonomy, I think is a really that that part, I think, has really had an impact. You can see that, you know, that's that's one of the parts of the CFR that definitely has has kind of, uh, you know, taken hold, I think, in, in language learning in Irish language learning. Um, and I, I think in general, I think that the, the use of the CEFR um, has kind of stimulated or supported quality assurance in Irish language learning. I, um, Enrica Picardo, um, who worked with on that ECML project, she used the metaphor of uh, the analogy that the CFR is like a compass for quality. And I think that's a great analogy because if you think about a compass, a compass is something that the user holds in their own hand. and it doesn't, the compass doesn't actually tell you where your final destination is. It just makes sure that every step you take, you're moving a little bit in the right direction. So I think it's a great, uh, a great analogy for C the CEFR and for CEFR use. I think the principles, if we leaving the levels aside, the principles that underpin the CEFR, you know, if we think of learner-centred um, uh, education and needs-based approach, really looking at you know the, the needs of the learners, using those needs to help us define learning outcomes, and then the backward design approach. That I think that part is really important. The whole CFR is really it promotes a backward design approach to learning, where we start with the needs of the learners, working back to learning outcomes, working back then to assessment, working from there to teaching and making sure that the teaching and the assessment are all aligned that we have constructive yes, alignment yes. i think that's really key i mean even even if a course didn't mention a cef or label or, or level label you know if, if a course if a language course never mentioned b1 or a2 but if it if it kind of incorporated those principles then i mean that would greatly enhance i think the quality of that language program or that course um, yes. I think there's another part, I think, that um, just from my own uh, experience, I think the process of aligning to a level also, I think, stimulates a kind of critical reflection that, again, is like a compass uh, for quality. Um, I remember I, I, I read Linda Taylor has a great book on um, on assessing speaking. Um, and I remember she, she, she has a description in that book of um, Lyle Bachman and his colleagues uh, study in, I think in 1995, there was a, the, a study carried out in Cambridge to investigate the alignment. So this is pre-CEF4, um, to investigate the alignment of the levels in the Cambridge First Certificate and in the TOEFL uh, exam. Mm. And so this, this, this research project started out as a kind of a, a study to try and, you know, establish an empirical link between these two tests or between the, the levels in these two tests. But what it actually ended up doing, the outcome of this study really was actually something much richer. Um, what it ended up doing was it kind of provided an in-depth critique of the Cambridge assessment approach. And, and it actually, through this study, through this process of analysing and trying to compare a number of issues in relation to the reliability and the validity of the Cambridge tests actually emerged. And so it ended up being, this study ended up being this catalyst for major reform, the really huge huge reform in, in Cambridge assessment. And when I read that, it really resonated with me because I had actually had a similar experience in Maynooth a number of years ago. I was involved in the implementation of a CEFR based syllabus for undergraduate Irish. And at the time, um, the teaching council 
of Ireland had introduced a new requirement that anybody who wished to register with the teaching council as a post primary teacher of Irish or of other languages would need to provide evidence that they had language proficiency at level B2.2. So a very specific level of proficiency, a little bit higher than, you know, it's a high level of B2, almost at C1, but not quite there. Um, so this is what the Teaching Council um, still requires um, uh, people registering from, uh, as, as post-primary teachers to, to, um, to show. And of course, they were asking the university departments, the university language departments to provide this evidence of, you know, the language, the, the language uh, proficiency of our graduates. So in Manus, you know, we were very concerned. We didn't want to just provide letters saying, you know, well, if a graduate, you know, achieved 60% in their language exam, well, we think that that's, uh, you know, the equivalent of B2.2. We didn't want to do that without actually being able to back it up um, and, you know, being able to, to kind of validate that assumption. We had an assumption, but we needed to validate it in some way. So um, I started a, a small scale research study. What we did was we took samples of our learners written and spoken production taken from the, the their their final undergraduate exams. And then we're, we're very lucky in Maynooth that because we have a team of professional testers who are working with TEG, who are very familiar with the CEF4 levels. So we handed over this uh, this um, this this collection of, of, uh, of, of learner samples at the various grades in the university system. And we asked our TEG team to regrade them according to TEG criteria and to and kind of trying to see where they would uh, fall in within the CEF4 descriptive scheme. And, you know, that was our, so our re research question was quite simple. You know, what, what we wanted, what I wanted to know was, is 60% uh, a 2-1 in the undergraduate exam, is that equivalent to a B2.2 in the CEF4? And I'm afraid I didn't get the answer to my question, <laughs> but what I got was something much more valuable, Sue. <laughs> um, what, what came, what emerged was a much richer kind of a, it, it, it kind of stimulated a, a type of critical uh, reflection and uh, a process what um in trying to align the two in trying to compare undergraduate scores to um to to the scores on a kind of a, using take criteria what we found was that there were actually issues in with the validity and the reliability of some of our undergraduate test tasks uh, our undergraduate level test test tasks and so this what, the, what this this process of trying to compare these two things actually stimulated a whole reform of our assessment and so it was it, it, it was actually really powerful I, I've, I've i've really kind of it really brought home to me how powerful that that kind of a process is when you try to compare two things the type that the the depth of analysis and of kind of critical reflection that you engage in is actually again a compass for quality. So I would I would highly recommend anyone who's trying to align their um their their programs or their assessments with a particular level on the CFR to engage in that kind of process to try and compare um you know maybe compare two exams because it, it brings you to I just it, it just kind of stimulates this type of reflection that is really really valuable and brings all sorts of rich insights that can lead <laughs> to quality improvement and reform. That sounds amazing, yes, and uh, and a real learning experience for everybody. Wow, yes, thank you. Uh, you've mentioned the companion volume, so obviously you're 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 in Manoof, you're engaged with that now. How how what would you see was the impact of the companion volume um, in two eighteen when it was when it came out, and and indeed since then. You know, uh, when I read the companion volume, you know, I was very familiar with the 2001 document, 
by the time the companion volume came out. But when I read the companion volume, there were things even for me as somebody who was very familiar with the, the CEF or there were things that just kind of stood out for me, you know, and um, that there were I, I think the companion volume it really highlights and clarifies a lot of the concepts that were there in the original document, but that there's so much detail maybe in the original document that maybe some some of the detail, some of some of these really important concepts just kind of got a little bit lost in the detail. And I think the companion volume does an amazing job. I know I know from other people talking to me as well as looking at it myself, it seems to talk more about the learner in a more complete sense. Do you know what I mean? A more holistic sense. Yeah, do you know, I think one of the, the real values of the companion volume is that it kind of presents a lot of the content that was there in the original CF or it presents it again, but it presents it in, you know, a much more user friendly way. It really highlights some of the some of the really important concepts that were really crucial to the philosophy of this CF or in the original document, but maybe were a little bit lost in the detail um, and it, it presents them again and really highlights, you know, the, some of those some of those um, those those concepts. Um, it also, I think, addresses a number of misunderstandings or misconceptions people had about the original uh, CFR document. So, for example, there's I, I, I can't remember what page it's on, but there's a lovely um, diagram of a rainbow. Do you do you know that the, the diagram that the, um, that I mean when it, um, when it's when in the companion volume when it describes the levels? You know, it's it it kind of highlights the fact that the levels are not absolute. There isn't a, a solid line between B two and C one. That Which is so important, isn't it? And it's yeah. such a misconception that that's out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you know, the the kind of the, there's a the 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 development from one level to the next is a, is kind of gradual, in a bit like the way that the colours of a rainbow, you know, kind of move from one colour to the next in a kind of a gradual um gradual way. And so that's it's. The same for the levels. Um, I think another um, idea that's kind of highlighted again in the um, in the companion volume is the idea that we shouldn't we can talk about levels and courses maybe would be at levels, but when we talk about individual learners, you know, very very often learners aren't at a, a specific level or a particular level for in all skills and in all contexts. They're much more likely to we, we should really be talking about profiles when we talk about individual learners. And I think that that's a very mm. good point. I couldn't agree more. And yeah. I think that, you know, that getting that idea across to to uh, to teachers, particularly when they're they're sort of holding on to their course book can be can be is a challenge sometimes. Definitely, definitely. So I think I would really highly recommend for anyone to go if they're, you know, especially somebody coming to the CF4 for the first time, I think the companion volume is actually a great place to start. Um, and, uh, you know, because I think those those concepts are really highlighted very clearly. Um, there's also, you know, the plus levels. I think that was something that people struggled with in Irish, trying to define the plus levels. Um, so those those levels that the sub levels that, you know, when when someone's maybe a high level of B1, but they're not quite at B2. How do we describe that level? Um, or how do we if we if we, you know, B1 and B2, those bands are very, very broad. Um, and so it doesn't take the same amount of time for somebody to, you know, to achieve, for example, A1, you know, go, going from kind of a, a ab initio learner to uh, achieving A1, that the, the length of time it takes someone to to uh, to kind of achieve that level is much shorter than the amount of time that it might take somebody to uh, to achieve to kind of move from B1 to B2 and so that can be a challenge then you know there's a very practical challenge therefore if you're if you're a, a course a, a school manager or something like that or if you're designing a course well you might need 
it, it might take longer than a year or it might take longer than one semester or you know whatever your kind of unit of time is in your in your context um to to go from b1 to b2 so you know you can divide up the levels you can you can have courses at b1.1 and b1.2 and b1.3 if you like um, and so those levels are kind of, you know, I think that the, the companion volume helps to explain that a little bit more clearly and helps to give us um, those definitions, clearer descriptors of the, the plus levels. Um, and then, of course, the mediation. Mediation was was always there. It was in the original document, of course, uh, you know, it was described as a concept. But I think the descriptor scales that really help us to kind of um, the, 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 the descriptor scales of mediation in the companion volume are extremely useful um, and extremely useful in an educational context, in an academic context for anyone, you know, looking at English for academic purposes, for example, there's, you know, that the mediation scales um, there are so many of the, the mediation scales that are really readily applicable to um, to to uh, to an academic context. So I'd really recommend anybody working on on, uh, on that EAP um, to look at to look at those mediation scales. Thank you so much. That's that's really, really interesting. I, I, qu I quite often when I'm doing doing work around the CEFA and talking to, you know, language educators in various contexts, you know, they because it's sort of the global bands are presented and have been presented in a certain way and the way they've seen them, you know, on a page, they sort of have this idea that they're sort of equidistant to each other. Do you know what I mean? And it's very hard to to really break that um con you know that misconception once it's become embedded you know and um i really so i really like your point about profiles and uh, um and uh, you know obviously every learner is is somewhat different um what what further developments do you, would you do you see occurring in the several or perhaps would you like to see well i suppose in the context of uh, you know i i, I can answer this question in the context of Irish, but really I suppose this is something that relates to any context. Um, I think that it's really important I, that that people, users of the CEFR, teachers or uh, testers or school managers, um, that they understand that 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 kind of the quality assurance approach that it, that in order to kind of ensure the quality of um of their CEFR use, that it has to kind of come from a, a bottom up you know, uh, pr process, uh, a process of kind of critical reflection. I think that's really important. I think it's really, really important. I, sometimes I see people using the CEFR levels or the labels in a kind of a superficial way. You know, they maybe say, well, this course is at B1 level, but they, they don't maybe explain what that means. And I think if, if, if there were one, one development I would like to see is that I would like to see more people when they claim that a course or an assessment or you know uh, something is, is related to materials a textbook is related to the CFR that they really explain what they mean by that um, is it related for example to you know that the the communicative activities that are set out in the CFR any any course or any assessment is not going to cover all of those so they need to be adapted the, the kind of the functional uh, dimension of the CFR needs to be adapted to particular contexts. So if somebody says that, you know, their course is uh, their Irish course, for example, is um, is related to C this to CFR level B1. Well, they need to explain what aspects of the CEFR um, were involved. They need to maybe explain how they have adapted the descriptors to their specific context, how they have selected particular descriptors. I think that that transparency um, in justifying 
the relationship you're, you're, between our you're courses. Absolutely right, and it's it's very sometimes very hard, to, or it's rare that you actually see that. Um, what what advice would you give to academic managers in that respect? You've kind of touched on, I suppose, some already, but. I would say to make use, first of all, of the, the tools and resources that are available. So I've already mentioned that the, um, the ECML quality, quality matrix, uh, CF or quality matrix tool, which I think, uh, of course, I'm biased, but uh, <laughs> I think it's a really excellent tool. But of course, there are also, you know, the Council of Europe and Altine manuals for aligning assessments with the CF or there's the new version of the, the British Council and Alti and, you know, um, uh, there's the new the new handbook for aligning education with the CF or and um, there are really practical tasks within those manuals you know there are there are those familiarization tasks or the, the there there are all these kind of tasks that are really uh, designed so that they're kind of ready made for you know for academic managers to you know run workshops and training training workshops and things with their staff and um, to familiarize their staff and to kind of to stimulate critical reflection on the use Absolutely. of the CFR. And I would say I would really recommend anybody to just use those resources that are available. That's, that would be the, the top, top tip. <laughs> Eva, thank you so much. There's that is such a, oh, I think people will have to listen to this conversation many times to really take all the all the rich pickings from it. Thank you so much for talking to us this today. And um, uh, well, we may see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Lovely to talk to you. Bye-bye.